When I was a kid back in the 80s, we would play outside. Can you imagine that? Kids would go outside and they would play. And in my neighborhood, I had a little neighborhood that had, um, I guess there were six of us boys my age. So we had Timothy and Brian, they were part of a cult and they lived behind these walls and they weren't allowed to come out and play with us. But then there was me, my friend Evan, my friend James, and my friend Darren. And we would go out and we would do all sorts of things. We would ride bikes together. We would uh, build forts in the woods together. We'd start little fires in the woods together, which I don't think we were supposed to be doing that. We would, uh, we would play Nintendo together come sixth grade when we all got Nintendo, so that's when we started going inside a little bit more. But we would stay outside and we would play. But one of the most fun things we would do was on our birthdays, we would have our friends come over to our house and spend the night on our birthday for our birthday party. And one night, uh, it was my birthday, and I had my friends over. I had Evan and James and Darren. And me and Evan and James, we were all pretty close because we went to school together. But Darren was a little bit different. Darren went to private school. And so Darren was all, he always had other friends. He had a, a different group that he hung around. And so we would sometimes make fun of Darren a little bit. Uh, Darren had an interesting last name. His name was Darren Hooter. And so uh, as a junior high kid and, and younger, you would make fun of people's names, right? My name was made fun of a little bit, but not as much as Darren Hooter. We call him Darren Hooter Motor Scooter. It's not a great joke to call him but that's what we called him and he went to a place called Sweetwater Christian which we just thought that was the most ridiculous name for a school I don't know why it just seemed a little bit different so we would make fun of his school and we would make fun of his name and one night at my birthday we started making fun of Darren and Darren we we started making fun of his name we started making fun of his school and we told him he wasn't part of us and we said, Darren, you need to hooter on home. And at four in the morning, we kicked him out of our house. We sent him home. And then we didn't talk to Darren for a month or two. We weren't very good friends to Darren. But then it was Darren's birthday. And one of the interesting things at this time, Darren's dad just got a new job and Darren's dad got a whole lot of money. And so Darren was allowed to take his friends to this incredible birthday party. And Darren invited his friends from school. And Darren invited us, the people that weren't really very good friends to him, to this place called Houston Grand Prix. And it's a place in Houston that had go-karts and had uh, arcades. And, and Darren made it to where we had unlimited go-kart rides. And we had unlimited amounts of tokens to play in arcade games. And Darren gave birthday party favors to all the people that came. And we wondered, why would Darren invite us to this party after we'd been so mean to him? Why would he give us these lavish birthday favors? He didn't need us. Darren had all sorts of friends from his school. He didn't need these bad neighborhood friends of his. 
Now, most of that story wasn't even true. A lot of it was embellished. I did have a friend named Darren. We probably did poke fun at his name. But for the most part, me and Darren were pretty good friends. What would that be like to be a really bad friend to somebody and yet that friend still lavish you with gifts, lavish you with an incredible party? You see, a lot of us have not been good friends to Jesus in our past. Jesus set out this way that we're called to live our life, but we've lived it fully apart from what He wants us to do and until He came and He saved us and, and we changed our lives. We washed our clothes. And we became part of His family. And what we're awaiting is this incredible party to be with Him. That's what the, we learn about in, as Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. Of the people that turn back to Him and, and He gives this incredible party when they come home. One of the problems as Christians continue in their faith we forget that we were once people that were lost. And so often, as Christians, we, we compare ourselves to the people in this world that are lost. And we think about our own moral character because we have high values. We don't talk like the people in the outside world talk. We get up early on Sunday mornings. We go to church. We do these things and, and, and we compare ourselves to the people that are outside these walls. But Paul tells Titus to remind the Christians what we once were. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, At one time, we too were foolish. We were disobedient. We deceived and we were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Paul wants to remind us of what we once were. And it's not because he wants us to always regret how we once lived our life and, and never forget that, but he wants us to remember that the people that we're trying to reach and teach, while it's easy to compare us as good moral character and them as society, he wants us to realize we at one point were lost as well. He tells the people in Philippians... In Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, it says, If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. The people of Israel, uh, uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, a Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. 
I like the version uh, up there. It says, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. Paul's saying, there was a time in my life where I could sit and I could compare myself to other people and I would be found faultless by comparison. Now, is Paul saying that he was perfect? No, we know the only one perfect is the Son of God. But what Paul is saying is, this is what I once thought of myself until I realized I was lost. Until I realized I actually did have sin. Until I realized what I looked like compared to the perfect Son of God. And that's why in verse 7 he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus for my Lord. For His sake, I discarded everything, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Well, Paul wants us to know as we are striving to put our faith in God, striving to do His will, to remember where we came from, and not live a life comparing us to the people outside this wall, these walls. But to have a mentality that reminds ourselves everything that Christ has done for us. And that's why he goes into verse 4 of, of, of Titus. He says, But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. Paul's constantly trying to remind us that it's not what we have done to earn our place in heaven, to earn this incredible party with God one day, to earn this eternal life with the Savior. It's the mercy and kindness of Jesus Christ. What he did for us by humbling himself, coming down to this earth, dying to, dying on the cross so that we can have eternal life. He says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we may become heirs, having hope of eternal life. Right here, Paul is trying to bring in one of the things that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3 where we get the term to be born again. We're born of water and spirit. He's clearly talking about baptism and, and, and in this baptism, what he's saying is we have washed our old sins away. But he's bringing in something, something so important to our life and that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
That's where Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of your sins. That's the washing away of our sins. He says, And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love how he ends it. He says, This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Baptism is something incredibly special that we have. A side note, if you've watched baptisms the last couple of months, people have gotten more and more surprised as they came into the water and out of the water. The heater wasn't working. Well, the heater, thanks to Joe, is now working again. So if you're considering baptized, you're not going to have to be too surprised. It's nice warm water. But baptism is such a a, a special thing for us. Because it's when we come in contact with the community of God. It's not a work that we do just to, to magically have our sins disappeared. But it's following the, obe- following the command that Jesus gives us to be baptized. I love how one of, the, uh, one of the greatest Christian theologians of today words it. N.T. Wright says, As we know from Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3, Paul saw baptism as the moment when someone was brought into the community, marked by his death and resurrection of Jesus. There's a big church in the Dallas area. It's called the Watermark Church. And several years ago, I went to a uh, family ministry seminar there. And one of the coolest parts about this church, and you'll see it in this picture right here, is, is their baptistry. It's the, it's the neatest baptistry you'll ever see. It's a big fountain that, that's right outside the main entrance of their church, but it looks kind of like a, a beautiful pond so you can sit and, and, and eat lunch by it. That's what, that's what I did at the seminar. But when they do baptisms, the floor, as you walk into it, lowers down. And so this is after one of their gospel meetings and they're, they're having uh, several baptisms that day. It's a really neat baptistry, but what I think is even uh, neater is the name of this church. It's called Watermark. And what are they trying to, to say with that, with that name? saying on our baptism, we are marked as God's chosen people. We are marked with salvation. We are marked by Christ. We belong to no one else. We belong to Him. If you're familiar with Microsoft Word, uh, there's something you can do whenever you're creating a document. You can add a watermark in the back of the document. So anything official that comes from Chandler Street, I have our logo, which you can see right there. It's just the, the heart with the cross. And it's this translucent mark that's in the background. What does that show? It's, it's to show that it's official. It comes from us. 
If someone gets this document, they can't change it. it they, they see the Chandler Street logo in it. It's officially ours. You'll see that on, on the, uh, the U.S. dollars, right? There's watermarks in there to show who it belongs to. And upon our baptism, that's what we are marked with. Now, we don't get a physical marking of us. What is that marking? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that dwells within us. The, the Holy Spirit that changes our life. So we're different than the outside world. Not because of our good works. Not because of that we get up early on Sundays. Not because we have clean language or dress nice. But God dwells within us. And that's why he continues on in verse 8. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent, profitable for everyone. If we have been marked by God, it means that our lives should look different than before we walked into this baptistry, right? Our lives should be transformed. We should look different. We, could, we should be able to stand before people and they say there is something different about them. Their life has been fully transformed. And what is that difference? It's the good works that we do. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light or neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father. What's Jesus saying? If, if we've been transformed, if we've been changed, if we've had our sins washed away, if we've been marked with the Holy Spirit, we can't be like a lamp that has a shade over it, right? We've got to be a group that's going out into this world where people see our good deeds. They see something different. And if you look at your life and it hasn't changed at all since you gave your life to Christ, since you had your sins washed away, that should make us uncomfortable. That should start to stir something in us. Something that makes us want to be different. One of the times where Jesus seems to have gotten the angriest. Most of us know this story. If you don't, uh, there was a time when Jesus went to the temple and he saw all these people outside the temple in the courtyard and they were, they were selling animals and they were exchanging money, the Roman money for temple money. And, and, and it was just a big fiasco. It was a marketplace. And Jesus got so upset that he makes a whip and he, and, he, and he drives out all these people that are in the courtyards. And he says this place is going from a house of prayer to a den of thieves. It, it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 45, Jesus entered the temple. He began to drive out people selling animals for sacrifices. He says, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. 
Now, it's possible that Jesus was uh, talking about people that had uh, been cheating others as they were selling animals to them. But I think the heart of the matter that Jesus was upset about was the courtyard of the temple was the only place the non-Jewish people could come and worship God. And what have the people done? They've turned it into a big marketplace. And so he was saying, I believe, that the people are robbing the non-Jewish people of the ability to come and worship God. When we don't live as light of the world, when we aren't showing the goodness of God, if we aren't living a life transformed by Him, I believe we're sitting here and robbing this world of being able to see God's light, being able to see God's goodness. I believe what Paul's telling Titus is when we've been washed from our old ways to a life and marked with Him, we've got to look different. We've got to go out into this world and we've got to show the goodness of this world, but it probably also begins inside these walls. As a church, we've got to look different. One of the problems with the church today is we struggle within our own community. Like this world, we argue and we have controversies. We say, this is how you're supposed to, supposed to follow the, the Bible, and then we say, no, this is how you're supposed to do it. You say, you can't do this, you, you, you can do this. And I think Paul addresses this. In verse 9 he says, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, arguments, quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. With divisive person, uh, warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such a person is warped and sinful, and they are self-condemned. One of the problems in the Christian community is we want to uphold the gospel. We want to do what's right. And too often, while we're trying to do what's right, trying to do good, we bring in the things of this world and we stir controversies with one another. Either this is the most right way to do with something or you can't live life this way. Which is something that we've struggled with all the, uh, since Jesus was around. That's what the Pharisees did. They put laws in place that God never issued. And so one of the things uh, from, from our own heritage, the restoration movement, we, we've come with this uh, phrase. The phrase is interesting. Uh, it was first uttered by, by uh, Thomas Campbell. It says, where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. And it sounds like a pretty good phrase, and for sure the first half of it is completely accurate. 
In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So, where the Bible speaks, we speak. That makes sense. Where God has made commands, we don't change those commands. We follow the commands of God. Where it gets a little more difficult is the second part of this phrase. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. And that actually can be taken in two different ways. One, we could say if the Bible doesn't permit it, then we have to forbid it. If it's not in the Bible, so if restrooms aren't in the Bible, if PowerPoint's not in the Bible, we have to permit it or forbid it. Now, most of us can get beyond those issues, but there's a lot of hot-button issues that we can't get beyond. And these are issues that have divided God's church and made us look more like the world than His people. Another way you can look at it is saying, if the Bible is silent on something, we don't make commands where the Bible doesn't make commands. Ultimately, what I see in this scripture is Paul is telling his people not to argue about things that divide the church. Foolish arguments that we can't go to the scriptures and prove one way or the other with, with, with certainty. We're called to look into the Scriptures, study together, and, and, and find the best way to be godly, but we're not called to argue and condemn. And there are some of people in, in, in congregations that poke and prod, and, and they're always looking for ways to divide. And what does Paul say about those people? He says, warn them once, warn them twice. And then unfortunately, he says, you have to do away with those people. Not do away permanently, but <laughs> you can't have people in the, in the congregation that divide God's church. We've got to be people of love and people of peace and people that want to do the best we can do for God. We want to, do this, we want to be this light. Not to compare ourselves to the people outside these walls, but so that they can see the glory of God, so that they will not be robbed of knowing who our loving Father is. We're called to be light into this world. And that's how we reach and teach. We teach the Scriptures that have been given to us, and we go out and we do good things so that when other people see the good things we do, they glorify our Father in heaven. Do you want to be part of this light? Do you want to be part of this world? You can be, have your sins washed away and join His church, become marked with His community. Most of us have done that, and so if, you, if you've already done that, then how are you going to be good today? How are you going to be God's light this week? If we can help you, if we can pray for you, please come while we stand and sing.